So I tried on all this Veronica Beard stuff at the Neiman's in Chicago. Uh-huh. None of it looked good. I feel like Vince is your signature designer anyway. Like I think you were cheating on Vince with Veronica Beard. But the Vince doesn't look good on me either. I think this is all in your head. Maybe it all looks good. Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Liz Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A., and with me is my high school friend and writing partner, Sarah. That's me, Sarah Fain. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. In this episode, we talk about the fear of new things. New things are great, but they also bring a lot of anxiety. And we're also going to share and discuss the famous Warner Brothers pitch document. We get asked for this document all the time, and we thought now would be a good time to share it because we are going to do a pitching bonus episode next week. Yes, we're going to read slash perform our (laughs) actual pitch for a pilot we wrote called American Beauties. It's one of our favorite ideas, and it's a very strong pitch. Not perfect, and there are things we would do differently if we had to do it over. And we'll discuss all that in the bonus episode that will be out on Tuesday of next week, so keep your eyes and ears open for that. Yes. Okay. So back to this episode, we also have a Hollywood hack that can help you build your professional network and your Instagram following. And finally, we have a lunch break celebrity sighting. But first, an update. In episode 124, we answered a listener question about being a fly on the wall. Yes. I said I would like to be a fly on the wall at a sheep farm in the Shetland Islands. I said I would like to be a fly on the wall behind the scenes at the Real Housewives. (laughs) And we asked where you all would like to be flies on the wall, and we got some great responses. Yes. Lonnie would like to be a fly on the wall in the succession writer's room, which I'm guessing you would be like the fly next to her. Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) Caitlin would like to watch geneticists work with detectives to solve old serial killer cases. So I hope she's listening to the Bear Brook podcast because she would love it. Jenna would go back in time to historical events like landing on the moon or the assassination of JFK. Fascinating. And Justin emailed to let me know that he and his wife went to Sir for dinner, which is owned by Lisa Vanderpump, uh-huh. and they were filming Vanderpump Rules, so he gave me a heads up on when they shoot, so maybe I can be a fly on the wall for real. <laughs> I have a feeling you will definitely be going to oh, Sir. Yeah. And then we got an email from Fiona that, of course, I just love. She wrote, in episode 124, Sarah said she would like to be a fly on the wall of a sheep farmer in Shetland. Well, I nearly fell off my chair, which wouldn't have been safe as I was driving it at the time, as I live in Shetland and I am married to said sheep farmer. We run a lovely farm in Shetland with around a thousand Shetland sheep. One anecdote I think you will like is that when we had our son, now 11, my husband had sheared one of his homebred sheep, which produced amazing Shetland wool, which we then gave to my grandmother, who spun it into the finest single thickness of wool, one ply, and then knitted it into a beautiful baby shawl. Shetland shawls, called haps, are famous for being so fine that you can pull the shawl through your wedding ring even though the shawl is large enough to cover your whole upper body. Have a look over on Instagram. I'm at Shetland Fee, 
S-H-E-T-L-A-N-D-F-I, for some pics of life on a Shetland sheep farm. Come visit Shetland with Violet someday, mm-hmm. and we will show you around. Okay, I just have to say, Fiona, be very mm-hmm. careful what you say, because Violet and I may show up on your doorstep. Yes, and you followed Fiona on Instagram, and we have been looking at her pictures, and they are gorgeous. She lives my fantasy life, 100%. So thank you, everyone, especially Fiona. Get your guest room ready. And Sarah, before we dive in, I want to give everyone a quick reminder that Gretchen and I are on tour with Happier Hour with Gretchen Rubin. We are having such a great time meeting all of our listeners. So come see us and bring your friends. Tickets are available for Providence, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., Atlanta, Charlotte, and Brooklyn. Liz, you should come to L.A. We should. I know. Okay, it's time for From the Treadmill Desk Of, in which we discuss what is most pressing in our work psyches. And this week, it's fear, specifically the fear of new things and how to overcome it. Yeah, this came up for us recently because we have a draft of the first episode of our first fiction podcast. Yay! And I was deathly afraid to read it. (laughs) I did not want to read it. Now, usually when we put our halves of things together. It's like we put them together, we print them, we read them. Yeah. Just like that. It's There's no delay. None. It was days, maybe it, like more than weeks, a week, right? Yes, yes. It was a long time. And sort of like because you weren't reading it, I wasn't reading it. Yeah. And then like, why were we afraid? Well, I don't know if you were as afraid as I was. I was more just waiting. That's true. Um <laughs> I just feel this fear because even though, yes, it's writing scripts, which is what we do, it feels like such a different medium. Uh huh. And I just felt this sort of overwhelming anxiety to dive in. Like, I was very anxious about writing the first draft. Uh-huh. And then— Yeah, we I delayed was, that for yes. a long time. And then I was anxious to read the first draft because I felt like, I don't know, it's like free-falling kind uh-huh. of. But what was funny is we brought this up. We were discussing this, even saying, hey, this would be a good thing to talk about on the podcast, this fear of something brand new. And then you said, "Okay, we're reading it. Yeah. You just ripped the (laughs) Band-Aid off. Because when we were like, well, how can we face that fear? You're like, rip the Band-Aid off. We're reading it now. Yes. And we just dove in. And that, I mean— We're going to be talking about strategies for dealing with fear, and that is the first and probably most important one. Yeah. It's the sort of just jump off the end of the dock into the cold water. Yes. And I have to say, we were pleasantly surprised. Yes, I mean, of course it needs work. Writing is rewriting, but we've got the start of something that we love. Yes. Now, we've never met anyone, no one has ever met anyone, who doesn't have some level of fear of new things. This is a universal fear. but. Growth happens, as they say, out of the comfort zone. Yes. So what are some strategies for dealing with that fear? Yes. We already talked about this. Rip the bandage off. That's what we did with the script. And we're glad we did. Another thing is set a date. Mm, Yes. Sarah, the idea of setting a date really came up with Gretchen and me when we were deciding whether or not to do live shows. Mm -hmm. Because obviously there's a lot of fear surrounding, again, something new, sort of a performance thing, which I'm not used to. And we just decided to say, yes, we'll do it and start setting the dates. And then once the dates were set, I had no choice but to do it. I (laughs) could not show up. So it sort of took it out of my hands. Right. 
then the fear doesn't really matter because you're doing it anyway. Yes, it in no way decreased my fear. Right. But it increased, you know, the likelihood of it happening. And now I'm not afraid. I've done it enough where I feel comfortable or more comfortable on stage. Which is another strategy. When you have a new thing that you're going to do, do it more than once. Mm, Whether it's doing stand-up, whether it's talking in a meeting, like once you've done it once, fantastic, good, but don't stop there. Keep going because every time you do it, the fear gets less. Yes. Another thing that helps is talking about it. We do that on Happier in Hollywood. We talk about things we're afraid of and we do it with each other. Yeah. Right. Just talking about these things, anything that we're afraid of, helps us just process that fear and move through it. Yeah. Putting a name to something often, like, makes it less of a big deal. Yes. Yeah. And then if you're an obliger like we are, it definitely helps to have an accountability partner, someone who, if you say before the meeting that you're afraid to speak up in because, like, the big boss is there— I'm going to make a comment in today's meeting. Mm-hmm. You are then accountable to the person you've said that to, and you're more likely to do it. Absolutely. Probably won't work for a rebel, but if you're an <laughs> obliger, that'll work. Also, if you need to bring in an expert, for instance, if you have to deliver a speech and you're terrified of delivering a speech, hire a speech coach. Right. You know, or if you have to make a big financial decision, say buy a house and you've never bought a house and you're afraid to buy a house, talk to a financial planner. You can also, Sarah, read a book. Absolutely. And you don't necessarily have to spend money for an expert. We all have friends who, you know, have done the thing before. Look it up on the Internet. Oh, the Internet. YouTube, for God's (laughs) sake. Yes. I think Violet's whole life is going to be influenced by YouTube. But that's a different subject. Yeah. And Sarah, I mean, I think the best thing to do is remember most things, once you do them, are not as bad as you think they're going to be. Even really scary things. Right. You know, even writing a fiction podcast. (laughs) Which is just terrifying. (laughs) It is to me. (laughs) And it's true. Once we read it, it's all fine. And if it had been terrible, we would just have gone into, you know, we've written terrible things before. You just fix them. Yes. That, yeah, writing terrible things should not be scary to me. (laughs) Well, we would love to hear from our listeners. What strategies do you use to overcome the fear of doing something new? We want to know. Email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Next up, the Warner Brothers pitch document. People ask us if we have it all the time, and we do. We're going to share it after this break. Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no-prep, no-mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Last night, I had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. 
Okay, Liz, it's time for The Craft and Fane, our segment on the craft of writing. Some people think it's an art. We think it's more of a craft. And today, our focus is specifically on the craft of pitching, and even more specifically, the Warner Brothers pitch document. Yes, it's kind of one of the holy grails of pitching. We first heard about this document long before we ever did a pilot with Warner Brothers. We just knew there was a Warner Brothers pitch document, and that's (laughs) what they have their writers follow. And what is it? Because people do ask us all the time about pitching and how to structure a pitch. And this is a template. Exactly. It lays out a structure for drama pitches, comedy pitchers. It's probably also applicable to you as well. But the structure that this document lays out is teaser, world, characters, pilot, series, tone. So you start with the teaser, then you tell people about the world, then you go into the characters, then lay out the pilot, then talk about the series as a whole, and then the tone of the show. Yes. And in general, first of all, don't make this too long. It sounds like a lot, and it is, and it's always hard to keep it short. But I mean, we just pitched something that was 10 pages, and we thought it should be eight. But you know, things grow. Um, But I'd say 20 minutes, 25 max for a pitch. Absolutely. I also want to say before we sort of dive into the specific sections, it's one of those exception proves the rule kind of things. This works very well in many situations, Mm -hmm. but no one should feel sort of beholden to this structure. No. Different shows require different things. Right. For instance, we um, almost always don't start with a teaser. Yeah. We tend to start with something more, a more general, I don't know, grabber where we're like, we're going to grab you into the why we're doing this show. Right. And that works better for us. I think teasers just for us are kind of tough to pitch. Yes. Shows are visual and you write them and craft a teaser and, you know, just having said that, if you start with a great teaser, you're likely going to sell that show. That's true. You know, one thing we have learned is a show usually sells, you know, mentally the people listening to it. Within the first two minutes. Yeah. It's not like they don't like it minute three and then minute 17. They're like, oh, my God, I love this. (laughs) You know what I mean? Totally. You want to feel like, okay, by the time I launch into section two, whatever my section two is, they've already bought the show. Yeah. They're in or they're out. They're in or they're out. So let's say that we're going to follow this document. Start with a teaser. So pitch out a teaser that grabs your audience because, again, you want them to want to buy it immediately. And you want to think of something that's visual, that gives a sense of the world and also the tone of the show and hopefully the setup of the show. Yes. And then the next section, according to this model, is the world. After you've grabbed your listener, tell what the world is and why you want to do a show about it. This is one of our favorite sections to do. Yes. We love thinking about this. We don't get to write prose that often. So this is kind of where we really pull out our English class stuff and write some good prose about (laughs) the world and why it's important. And then character is so you know, outline each of your characters in the order of importance and and try to make them pop. Try to talk about distinguishing characteristics. Also, very important, discuss character dynamics because people don't want to just sit there and hear a long, boring thing about a character. And this is when I listen to pitches. This is when I tune out is during the character section. But people do want to know the dynamics and what potential conflict is or love interests or whatever. 
Yes. It's funny that this is where you tune out because I think this is actually one of our strengths. Well, in our pitches. Maybe, but I'm still tuning out. <laughs> um, okay, and then the next segment is the pilot. Broad stroke the rest of the pilot. I want to really emphasize the words broad stroke. Yeah, it's interesting. There's been a lot of discussion in one of our Facebook groups about how much detail should you pitch in a pilot. And I mean, every year that we're in this business, we think fewer and fewer details should yeah. be pitched of a pilot. It just gets very boring if you're going detail to detail. And the problem is once you start adding details, it leads to more details. It's like this rabbit hole of details. It's really important to keep it general, really highlight character dynamics in the pilot. If there are big twists and turns that are really juicy and fun. Yeah, hit the key um, plot points. If there's a great cliffhanger, but really don't get mired down in who's doing what, when, and why. Yes. That's when it just gets tedious. And it also opens things up to questions yes. and holes. Yes. Like more detail leads to more questions. Which you then have to answer. Yes. So often when we get a note with, like, requests for more detail, we pull a pitch back the yes. other way. Yes. Because it just goes down a place you don't want to go to. Yes. Then next, talk about the series. So this is like, discuss what an episode of your show looks like. Like, is it serialized? Is it serialized character stories with closed-ended procedure? Um, give some examples. Give some examples, some potential storylines. Now, we have taken to, and I think many people have, of having a season one arc section in the pilot. We've added that many times, and I think that's more common than it used to be. So I think that's sort of in the same world as the series is talking about season one arcs. And as you're doing that, know that you're not beholden to anything no, in that. No, Once things no. move forward, it's really just to give people a sense of what the show is. And they want to know there's a lot of story. Yeah. I mean, it's reassuring to people to hear like, oh, they have so many story ideas. Because it has happened in the past that pilots have been made where Nobody knew what the show was beyond yes. the pilot. God and a knows. big part of selling a pilot is thinking there's a show to go right along with it. Yes. And then our least favorite section. The Blech. tone. The tone. Blech. It is so hard to talk about tone. Onerous. You want it to be clearly established what the tone of the show is. And by the way, I mean, hopefully you're doing this throughout. I mean, the right. tone should really be in everything you talk about. But it's just hard because tone is so in the writing and the acting and the filming. It's yeah. hard to talk about it. Many, many people like, you know, a this meets that, you know. I mean, um, I'm going to expand that to say everyone. Everyone. I mean, right. don't you think at this point it's, yeah, it's, it's this is us yeah. meets alias, it's whatever it is. Utterly cliched yes. and also utterly necessary. Yes. So you might think something is obviously humorous and someone's like, oh, that sounded really serious to me. So that's why giving examples helps. Yeah. And you feel like a moron doing it. But yes. Do it anyway. Now, I will say in the pitches that we have been doing this year, we have not done tone last. No. We sort of, I don't know, we're kind of doing like a wrap-up. Yes, a conclusion. Yes, kind of section. And that's working really well, and tone tends to be earlier in the pitch. Like, we now are at a place yes. where we don't feel beholden to a particular structure, and we've done it so many times yeah. that we can kind of, you know, mix and match and 
create our own adventure. Yeah, we have an instinct now for how we think we can best sell a show. But it really is helpful when you're starting out to have a structure because otherwise, I mean, you can just end up rambling, talking about things people aren't interested in. I really think the less times you've pitched, the more important it is to, like, follow a clear structure. Um, Another thing is, remember, they can ask questions. So, You could say, well, I'll let them ask that. If they want more pilot detail, they can ask for it. If they want to know what happens at the end of Act 1, they can ask. And it's always okay to say you don't know. If they ask a question and you don't have an answer, just go, you know, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about that. That's a really good question, you know. Yeah, just haven't decided yet. Yeah, I I haven't decided yet, but I'm uh, mulling many Mm -hmm. possibilities. (laughs) Now, Sarah, if someone wants a copy of this document, we do have it. We do. You can email us at happierinhollywood at gmail.com, and we will send you this document. It's just helpful. Yes. It's a very good resource. And then also, we are going to do a bonus episode. We're going to be reading slash performing our pitch for one of our favorite pilots ever. It's called American Beauties. So look for that next week. It will be going up on Tuesday, October 28th. Yes, yes. We will revisit a pitch from the past. (laughs) Coming up, we've got a research Hollywood hack. But first, this break. Okay, Sarah, it's time for this week's Hollywood hack. Use Instagram as a research tool. Yes. So this came up because we're doing this show about plastic surgeons, and we have learned so much from following plastic surgeons on Instagram. Yes, it's quite (laughs) eye-opening. And Instagram actually led us to a plastic surgeon in New York who we've been consulting with for the pilot. Yes. Explain how that happened. This This was all you. Yes, Sarah. So we'd read a bunch of articles about plastic surgery and different plastic surgeons, and I decided to follow on Instagram a plastic surgeon in New York named Melissa Doft, and she DM'd me and said, hi, I know your sister. (laughs) And then I thought, oh my gosh, this is such a great opportunity. And I DM'd her back and said, hi, you know, would you be willing to talk to my writing partner and me about what you do? And she's been very generous with her time and her knowledge and her insight. And I was like, wow, this is social media when it's working right. Right, exactly. It's We can use social media to just scroll through and see pictures of our kids and pets, and that is a wonderful thing. But we can also use it to really expand our knowledge base. Yeah, we happen to need information on plastic surgeons right now. (laughs) But with the right search focus, you could research just about anything from wool farming in the Shetland Islands to financial (laughs) planning. It's almost like a photo encyclopedia. And then you don't have to feel bad about scrolling through Instagram because you're curating your feed as a research tool. That's right. Okay, finally, Liz, we had a celebrity sighting this week at one of our favorite lunch spots, Hugo's. As a new vegan, I am obsessed with their vegan tacos. They're just like insanely delicious. So we've been going there quite a lot. Yes. Um, And we saw Rizwan Manji. Yes, Sarah, you spotted him and pointed him out. And I didn't know his name, but I knew I had seen him a million times and a million things. Exactly. He's been in Charlie Wilson's War, outsourced. He's in the hilarious show Shit's Creek. Right now, he plays Reverend Jax on an NBC sitcom called Perfect Harmony with Bradley Whitford. 
And the crazy thing about it was like, we walked out of Hugo's, got in the car, started driving to your house, and there was a huge billboard for Perfect Harmony right like outside Hugo's. Yeah, so we see his face at the restaurant, we get in the car, and then there's his face like gigantic uh, on a billboard on the street, on Riverside Drive. Yeah, so he's probably on a billboard near you right now. Undoubtedly. And that's it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. Don't forget to check out our bonus episode on Tuesday, October 28th to hear our American Beauties pitch. We love to hear from you. Email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe if you haven't already. Thank you to our executive producer, the amazing Chuck Reed. Thanks to everyone at Sancola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram at Sancola Sound. Thanks to everyone at Cadence 13. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Check out the other Onward Project podcasts, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, Side Hustle School, and the new podcast from Whole30's Melissa Urban, Do the Thing. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at Liz Craft and Sarah is at S. Fain. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join the conversation. Until next week, I'm Sarah Fain. And I'm Liz Craft. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. Sarah, did American Beauty start our whole trend of doing every pilot twice? Sadly, I think that started with Women's Murder Club. Oh, right. And then we did this. We've been doing that forever. Yeah. From the Onward Project.